Well, if you guys have your Bibles with you, I want to invite you to open up to Acts chapter 7. And uh, we'll continue taking a look at what the Lord has for us. But I, I want to remind you where we've come from. In Acts chapter 6, we were introduced to the fact that there was um, a struggle in the church. There was a need. The church there in Jerusalem, the need was a, 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 an issue of serving meals to widows. There was a group of widows, Greek-speaking widows, Hellenists, that were um, not necessarily got along as well with the Hebrew-speaking counterparts, and they felt as though they were being neglected. So the apostles came together and they said, here's what we need to do. Let's, let's go before the Lord in prayer, and let's find seven men full of the Holy Spirit that, that God will raise up to step out and fill this need. And so... Seven men rose up. One of those men, spoken of in Acts chapter 6, name was Stephen. As we come toward the end of Acts chapter 6, we see Stephen who had originally been called to serve meals to widows and maybe was still a part of that, was now moving forward in grace and power. I want you to, to kind of keep that in mind because as we look through the scriptures over and over again, you're going to find those two things linked. So often when we look at grace, we see grace and we think of grace just as uh, the willingness to overlook our shortcomings or our failures. And we forget that there's another part of grace that's the power to be more than what we are apart from the Lord. He was moving in grace and power, a man full of faith. We see people were being healed, not just by the apostles, by Stephen. We see him being this incredible witness and he... He, he has this fight one day with the synagogue of the Libertines, or the freedmen. One of many synagogues there in Jerusalem. And, and a guy who would have been a part of that synagogue, we're, we're going to study later on, and more in depth at the, at the men's retreat when that comes up. But as we go through the scriptures, his name right now is Saul. Saul very probably was there with Stephen, arguing with him. And when the Bible says they, they didn't have an answer, they, they couldn't uh, refute what it was that Stephen was bringing. Saul's one of those guys. He's one of those guys who was there, who was under one of the greatest teachers, one of the greatest rabbis in Israel's history. Gamaliel was, was his instructor. And he, he, he would write, Josephus tells us, he said of Paul that, that he couldn't keep him in books. He was constantly reading beyond what he had. He, he, every time he handed him something, he, he would finish it and go on to somebody at thirst to, to, for knowledge. And so he would pursue God, what he thought he was doing, pursuing God. And here he finds himself with this guy. Now I want to tell you something. I want to tell you that Saul is never, ever, ever going to forget what we read in Acts 6 and 7. He'll never forget it. It's like that, that little tickle on the back of his neck when he's wondering whether or not he's really doing everything that God has for him to do. Whether or not he's being obedient because he's full of zeal. He thinks he's doing what God wants him to do. So do these guys who are arguing with Stephen. But after this day, he's going to wonder because he's going to see He's going to see exactly what so many saw in the crucifixion of Christ. Why? Well, you see, there was a place where they would go for stoning. It was right outside a particular gate. In fact, today, if you want to go outside the gate where Stephen was stoned, the name of the gate is called Stephen's Gate. And as you go outside that gate, and a little ways down the road, you come to a hill that will be familiar to you. It was a part of a quarry where they used to pull the rocks out. So when someone needed stone, they would take them to this quarry. It came to be known as the place of the skull. Golgotha. Same place where Jesus Christ is crucified. Stephen will be stoned. And they will lay their coats down at the feet of a young man named Saul. He's there. He's a part of what's going on. But as we come together today, we've beginning in chapter 7. They've taken Stephen. They brought him before a council. They're, they're ready. They've, cha they've charged him with blasphemy, which carries the, the threat of death, stoning. 
They've made the charge. They brought him. And now they've laid out the charge before Stephen at the end of chapter 6. And they ask him, do you have anything to say for yourself? And Stephen's going to respond. And I love this. Probably one of my favorite sections of scripture as we go through it and as we look at it. I love that Stephen shows us exactly what Jesus Christ said would happen. He said, don't worry about what you're going to say when you're brought up on charges or before councils. The Holy Spirit will give you utterance when it's time. And Stephen's entire message to the people is this. You always resist what the Holy Spirit is trying to do. So when I look at what Stephen is saying, the examples that he gives, the, the constant thing that comes back to me is, am I being resistant to what the Holy Spirit wants me to do? Do I come up with excuses why I, I can't do what, what I feel Him laying on my heart, or why I can't be more about this? See, see, this horrible thing occurs within the church today, and that is, we add Jesus to our life. And then we exist without power and without experiencing all that Jesus has for us and without having all that the, 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 the stuff that we read about in Scripture. We, we say that it's like two different experiences. The one I experience and, and the one on the page of Scripture. But you see, the, the Holy Spirit calls us to make Christ central in our life, not me. Yes. That He's central. What do you have for me today, Lord? That it's all about Him. So often we want to take the Word of God and we want to pull it down to our experience. But in reality, what we want to do is hold the Word of God up and let it lift our experience to Him. To be obedient to what His Word says, to how His Word calls, to what He is asking of us. To be obedient in that way is the charge, is the challenge of Stephen. The challenge to them as, as he reads or as he shares this. And the challenge to us this morning. So let's take a look. Acts chapter 7. We're going to look at 1 through 16. It says, Then the high priest said, Are these things so? And he answered, Brethren and fathers, listen. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia, before he dwelt in Haran. And said to him, get out of your country and from your relatives and come to a land that I will show you. Well, he came out of the land of the Chaldeans and dwelt in Haran. And from there, when his father was dead, he moved him to this land in which you now dwell. And God gave him no inheritance in it, not even enough to set his foot on. But even when Abraham had no child, he promised to give it to him for a possession and to his descendants after him. But God spoke in this way, that his descendants would dwell in a foreign land, and that they would bring them into bondage and oppress them four hundred years. And the nation to whom they will be in bondage, I will judge, said God, and after that they shall come out and serve me in this place. And he gave them the covenant of circumcision, and so Abraham begot Isaac and circumcised him on the eighth day, and Isaac begot Jacob, and Jacob begot the twelve patriarchs. And the patriarchs, becoming envious, sold Joseph into Egypt. But God was with him, and delivered him out of his troubles, and gave him favor and wisdom in the presence of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And he made him governor over Egypt and all his house. Now a famine and a great trouble came upon the land of Egypt and Canaan, and our fathers found no sustenance. But when Jacob heard that there was grain in Egypt, he sent out our fathers first. And the second time, Joseph was made known to his brothers, and Joseph's family became known to the Pharaoh. And Joseph sent and called his father Jacob and all his relatives to him, 75 people. So Jacob went down to Egypt and died, he and our fathers. And they carried back to Shechem and laid in the tomb that Abraham bought for a sum of money, from the sons of Hamor, the father of Shechem. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, as we look at the beginning of this discourse by Stephen, Lord, I pray, God, that we would have eyes to see, Lord, and that we would hear the call of Stephen saying, or 
Are you being resistant to what God is doing? Remembering our history, where we come from, what God has done in the past, so often helps us to remember what He is able to do in the future. God, I pray that we would answer that question, where am I? Am I where God wants me to be? Am I doing what He would have me to do? Or am I making excuses? If I just added Him to my life, or is He my life? God, I pray that you would move in a mighty way by your Spirit in and among us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, as we consider what we read, I want just to remind you, as we come to the end of of Acts chapter 7, so we can have the context in which uh, um, Stephen means this to be read. It says in verse 51, You stiff-necked and uncircumcised and hardened ears, You always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so you do. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who foretold the coming of the just one, of whom you have now become the betrayers and the murderers. As Stephen is laying this out, they've asked him to give an explanation of the things that he said, of, of the charges that were brought, blasphemy against the temple, Blasphemy against God. Blasphemy against Moses. And so he begins by giving a history lesson. A history lesson of how people resist what the Holy Spirit is trying to do. And how he's trying to move in their midst. How frustrated they become when he interrupts their lives. And asks for more. Than what they were previously doing or giving calls them into a deeper relationship it begins with a man known as abraham the promise to abraham let's look at chapter 7 in verse 2 it says and he said brethren and fathers listen the god of glory appeared to our father abraham when he was in mesopotamia before he dwelt in haran Stephen says, listen, before we read the call of God to Abram in in, uh, Genesis chapter 12, before he's in Haran with his father, way back when he was in Ur the Chaldees, God called Abraham. There's nothing special about him. In fact, in those days, his name was Abram, and his wife's name was Sarai. Later on, God's going to change their name. It's interesting when he does so. He, he breathes into their name. He breathes into their name. Abram becomes what? Abraham. The Ruach, the breath, the spirit. And Sarai becomes Sarah. He breathes into them. The Holy Spirit. But as we look at their life, we see Abram dwelt in a city. In fact, you can go to, to certain museums and study about the Sumerian culture. One of the oldest cultures known to mankind. It dates back to the time of Abram. What do we know about them? They had streets. They had governments. They had uh, uh, sewage systems within the city. They dwelt in buildings. They lived in houses. And there was Abram in that place. There he was in the midst of all that living. He He was living a normal life in a city. Everything was good. This is not the Abraham whom he becomes, a man who lives in tents with no home. This is a man with a home. Everything's good. But Stephen says, when he was there, God called him. God called him. We we always want to mystify the concept of the call. For you and I, there's no mystery. The callings of God, uh, we can read throughout the scriptures and the pages of scripture. For Abram... God simply told him, I want you to leave the city and go to a place that I will show you. And what we know about him is that he moved in obedience, not really yet knowing what he was doing. Did he have a map for where he was going? No. Did he really even have any concept? He's, he's kind of, can you imagine the conversation with Sarai? And with his father, because Terah comes with him as far as Haran. And the conversation he has with Lot. Hey, you know what? A God has spoken to me. And we, they lived in a land that worshipped the, the moon god. 
That the name of that God was sin, interestingly enough. And that was the deity that was a part of the city. But, but God broke through all that stuff. He broke through the midst of all that was going on in his life. And he spoke to him. He called him. He said, there's something more I have for you, Abram. There's something more that I want you to experience. And so the first thing that we see when the promise of God enters into the life of Abram is he obeys. His obedience wasn't dependent on him understanding why. He just obeys. That's why Abram becomes Abraham. That's how he becomes the father of faith. The father of us all who believe. Why? Because he received the promise of God, the call of God, and he obeyed. How many times do we go through the pages of Scripture and we read something and we say, Huh, why? Lord, why should I do that? Why should I apply this Scripture to my life? We want to take it out and and make it a cultural context or... Or leave it laying somewhere and say, well, that's not really for us today. Or that's not really a part. When Jesus turned to us, to you and I, and he says, pick up your cross daily, come and follow me. That's exactly what he means. That we're to follow him, his direction. What is it that God is speaking in your heart? What is it that God wants to do in your life? We come so far and we we answer an altar call. We come forward. We ask Him to be Lord and Savior of our life. And then we expect that some magic wave moves through our body and, and dramatically changes everything in our life. It's the exact same way people get married. They get married and they think, poof, oh, wow, we're going to be happy and everything's good now. We've, Yeah, whatever. <laughs> then that's the day that the work begins. Fellas, if somebody's telling you some, some uh, you know, <laughs> oceanfront property here in Idaho, don't buy it. <laughs> What's the point? The point is that that's when it begins. It's not this magical thing that happens because I prayed a prayer and asked Him to be my Lord and Savior. Now I need to follow in obedience. Now i got to say... Lord, what do you have for me? What am I to do? That's what Abraham did. That's how he began to experience the power of God in his life. But so often we sit and we think, Lord, where are you? I don't hear you. I don't, I don't feel you. Could it, be, could it be that he's calling and we're not stepping out? We're waiting for a map or a plan or something else. But God is saying, come. Follow what my, my word is teaching. Come to a land that I will show you. Abram went. He'd never seen the land. And the land to which God was calling him was 600 miles away. And there was no car, boat, bus, train. He walked 600 miles to a place where God would show him. Will we be obedient to God no matter how it affects our day? What if it interrupts your family time? What if it interrupts your plans? What if it interrupts what you want? Abram obeyed God and he followed him. The first thing we see is this obedience. The next thing we see is faith. A faith, a faith that says, I'll go of faith in God, not in the circumstances. Listen, look what it says. And he, he, he said to him, get out of your country and from your relatives and come to a land that I will show you. So he came out of the land of the Chaldeans and dwelt in Haran. And from there, when his father was dead, he moved, he, God, moved him, Abraham, to this land in which you now dwell. And God gave him no inheritance in it. He didn't give it to him. He didn't give him the land. He just made a promise. God just made a promise. He didn't give him the land. He came 600 miles. He sets up his tent. And God makes him a promise. To your descendants, I will give this land. And Abraham had how many kids? None. To your descendants. God gave a promise. 
And Abram believed. He put his faith not in anything else, not in his circumstances, not in the the children that he had or the thoughts that he could bring. He put his faith in God. God will keep his word. God will do what he said he would do. When he as yet has no child, Genesis twelve seven, the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your descendants I will give this land. <clears throat> Abram, go to a place that I will show you. Go to a place that I will show you. Hebrews eleven eight tells us that by faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. He receives it as an inheritance through his children. It's never his. But he lives his life by faith, holding on to the promise of God, being obedient to what God has said. And the challenge to us is that the thing that Stephen's saying to these men in the Sanhedrin is, listen, if, if you're not willing to obey the simple word that God lays out for us to obey, and the simple things that we have on the pages of Scripture, and you're not willing to step out in faith and, and put your trust in God and not worry about your circumstances, but trust in God, then you are resisting the Holy Spirit. Just like the scribes and the Pharisees and the religious people of those days. But I want to I wanna live a life of obedience. I want to live a life of faith. God calls to Abraham when he is 75 years old. And he says to him in Genesis 15.5, he brought him outside and said, look at the heavens and count the stars if you're able to number them. And he said to him, so shall your descendants be. And he believed God and God counted it to him as righteousness. He was 75 years old. He had no children. God promised him so many descendants he couldn't even count them all. And Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. He had faith in God, not in His circumstances. Where's our faith? Where's our faith at? Sometimes our faith is all built around our circumstances. If my circumstances will change, I will have faith. And we have it backwards. If I will have faith in God, my circumstances may change. But we also have need of endurance. The promise first comes to Abraham when he's 75. 24 years later, he still has no child by Sarah. And God comes to him again. And God says to him, Abraham, I'm going to give you descendants so vast you can't even number them. And he says, and not only that, you are going to have a son. You are going to have a son. And Abraham is so blown away by the concept that he's sharing with him, he laughs. And Sarai laughs. And so God says, you know what? That's a good idea. That's a great name for your son. Let's name him Laughter. So his name shall be Isaac. And then God says, as he's leaving him that day, he says, this time next year, He'll be here. 25 years after the promise, he has a son. The Bible says, Abraham believed God. Do you believe God that way? Do you know that the circumstances in your life are beyond our control? We can't control what's going to happen from one moment to the next. Life can go from zero to a hundred just like that. In no time we're, we're hit sideways by some circumstance in our life. And then we can get taken off track and our faith falters because we put our faith on the circumstances and the things around us instead of putting our faith on God. For we know all things work together for good to those who love God. And are called according to his purpose. For we know. Faith. In the promise of God. For God said. 
I change not. I'll never break my word. I will never break a promise to you. Will we put our faith in Him? We step out in obedience. We put our faith in God, our trust in Him. But then we also need to recognize that's not the end of the battle. There will be trials. Look at the scripture. It says in verse 6, But God spoke in this way, that His descendants would dwell in a foreign land, and that they would bring them into bondage and oppress them 400 years. So, Abraham, here's the promise of God, and here's how God's going to move in your life, and here's the things that God wants to do. We want to see a man who's not resistant to the Holy Spirit, whose faith is in God, whose body is willing to step out in obedience, even when he doesn't know why he's supposed to obey, he just does. He walks by faith, and then the Lord says, there will be 400 years of suffering. If we think our walk with God is not going to include suffering, we are not reading the scripture because God tells us over and over again that we live in a world that is fallen. And in that fallen world, there will be heartache, heartbreak, struggle, suffering. But God promises at the same time that he's going to work in it. And through it. But he says to Abraham, it's 400 years. How many years have you suffered? None of us have suffered 400 years. So we're not going to measure up to the, to the, the, the standard. In this case, he lays out for him that there will be included in your walk and in your life struggle. There will be struggle. And Stephen talks about that struggle. He talks about it honestly. He says it requires obedience to not be resistant to the Holy Spirit. It requires faith placed in God. It requires an understanding that our life is going to include trials. Whose are you? Are you your own? Or are you His? And we have to answer that question. Who, whose am I? The world thinks the most important question we can ask ourselves is, who am I? I don't think that's the most important question. I, I think the most important question is, whose? To whom do I belong? Do I belong to God? And if I belong to God, am I willing to say that I trust you, I will be obedient to you despite where you call me? You know how many people live their entire life in 400 years, in bondage, never saw the light of freedom their whole life? And that was part of God's plan for them? That God says it will include trials. It will include trials. And he goes on, verse 7, And the nation to whom they will be in bondage, I will judge, said God, and after that they shall come out and serve me in this place. It's only temporary. One of the most important things we can understand about trials and hurts and pains and disappointments is they're temporary. They came to pass. They did not come to stay. Paul would say it this way, I do not consider it worthy to be compared. This present suffering with the glory which shall be revealed when we see Jesus face to face. Even if your entire life, you never catch a break. I've read stories of of people in other countries. I'm not sure anybody here would measure up. But in other countries who have seemed like from the moment they were born, they never had a chance. And their life just tumbled out of control. And so much suffering and so much pain and so much disgusting things taking place around the world in regard to these people, and then they pass into eternity. And we think, oh, what's the point of that life? Well, Paul would say, that life's not worthy to be compared with what he is experiencing in the presence of Jesus Christ right now. But we live our lives so often like this life is all that matters. And we get selfish and we think it's about how I'm living and what I'm experiencing. How does this affect me? And we have lost sight of the heart of our Savior. Because the heart of our Savior was always, what can I do 
for you. Now what can you do for me? That's the heart of our Savior. So we come to that trial and that suffering. My attitude to the Lord will be, what can I do for you? Allow me to be a, a witness for you in my circumstance. I remember when, when Cindy was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer, the first thing that she said is, I want to be a good witness. I want to bear witness to the love of Jesus Christ from now till the Lord takes me home. How many times we hear stories like that from, from our own members? As we have people right now at, at Scott and Dee's house waiting for Dee to pass into eternity and go into the arms of her loving Heavenly Father. What is her desire to be a good witness of Jesus Christ? Over and over and over again. I guess my question is, why do we wait for that? What's wrong with today? I want to be a good witness for Jesus Christ. I was challenged by a book I, I read recently. One of the things that the book talked about was Job. And how not very many people say, I want to be like Job. I don't want to experience what Job had. As far as I'm concerned, I want to make sure that the devil doesn't even know I'm around. I like the idea that when the devil shows up and talks to God, that God doesn't say, consider my servant Jackie down there. Take a look at him. I would like to just be secret. And if I'm honest, if you're honest, many of us, that's exactly where we want to be. But I think God wants more. I think God wants men and women who say, I want to be noticed by the enemies of God for being a champion of God. You see, that's what Job was noticed for, being a champion of God. And he continued to be that champion of God even in the loss of everything. Even in the end. We come to the end of the book of Job and we look at this man who has answered the call of God and not said why, but instead has said, I will be your champion. Take it all. I will be your champion. I will go head to head with the enemies of God. Step out in obedience, faith in God, despite the circumstances. Oh, that's... That's exactly what Abraham did. That's exactly what we see in the life of Job. And in verse 8, he gave him the covenant of circumcision. And so Abraham begot Isaac and circumcised him on the eighth day. And Isaac begot Jacob and Jacob begot the twelve patriarchs. Wow, that's kind of an interesting thing. Do you ever wonder when you think about God and Abraham coming to God and saying, Lord, can I please have a sign, a symbol, some kind of a concept so that people will know that I and you were together. Maybe I can get a really cool hat. Big, fancy looking. Everybody sees when I wear this hat. Yeah. That's Abraham. He's a guy following God, man. We, we want to follow him. We want to do what he wants us to do. Man, God, that'd be a really cool sign. Or maybe I can get some really cool clothes. You know, something that looks really hip. And people will look at me and say, yeah, that's it. That guy and God, they're together. So God said to Abraham, sure, here's my sign, circumcision. <laughs> wow, God, that's, that's not exactly what I had in mind. <clears throat> circumcision becomes the badge, if you will, for the Jewish people. Through which they, they think that they are saved. But all circumcision speaks of is an inward change that should have happened. Cutting away of the old dead flesh and the being made new. And it was something nobody else could see. You couldn't tell by somebody walking down the road because he was wearing a cool hat or a nice t-shirt or something spiffy. You couldn't tell that that's somebody who has a relationship with God. 
any more than you can tell when you see somebody walk or come into church or sit down in the chair next to you. You might think, man, that guy's got it all together. And you don't even know that right now he's sitting beside you dying inside just wishing that somebody would reach out to him and love on him and help him and encourage him. Because you cannot tell. It's not something that's expressed outwardly. It's something that takes place inwardly. That's the whole point of circumcision. Well, what did every parent do from the time of Abraham forward? They circumcised their children. Did the children, did it require the faith of the child? The child's eight days old. He has no idea. There's not a one of us in here who remembers our circumcision unless it just happened recently. <laughs> For the most part, we don't remember it. Whose faith was it about? The parents. The parents. The parents who step out in faith. Faith at work. The whole point of circumcision brought here is not just he had faith in God and obedience when God called him. He was obedient to what God said. And the understanding that I'm going to go through hard times and I'm going to persevere through those difficulties. And I'm going to continue to have endurance to move on. But then my faith had working clothes. Do you have faith in God? Circumcise your child on the eighth day. Oh, for you and me, it's kind of easy, right? I mean, the doctor does the thing and it's done. Go back to Abraham. Circumcise your child who was just born, eight days after he's born. Is there a doctor to take him to? No. What do they use? The Bible tells us flint knives. You ever seen a flint knife? No? I bet you wouldn't be excited about seeing a doctor use one. Put working clothes on your faith, Abraham. Won't be the last time he'll be called to put working clothes on his faith, would it? No. He's called to put working clothes. Do you believe? Do you trust me? Do you trust me that you circumcise your child on the eighth day? Was his child okay? Sure he was. You trust me. You be obedient. Even though it doesn't make any sense to you. Even though you'd rather have had a big fancy hat. Or another, some clothes or something you could wear externally. No. You trust me anyway. Let working clothes be on your faith. Because James said, a faith without works is what? Dead. Do we want to express dead faith in our life? So to express living faith or dynamic faith, what does it require? Does it simply require that we believe in God? The Bible says in the book of James, you say you believe in God, you do well. The demons believe and tremble. Are the demons saved? No. So it's not simply intellectual assent. It's something more than that. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, If you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, that's the key to salvation. So I confess with my mouth, I believe in my heart. Is there something else? Is there anything else in my life that takes place? Is that it? It's all been accomplished. Just like being married. I said I do. She said she does. We're into marital bliss. Because certainly there's not going to be anything else required in a marriage other than saying I do. That one profession of love. That one example of things that take place. That's it. Right? But so often that's how we treat salvation. We think that's it. I came forward. I prayed a prayer. I asked Him to be my Lord and Savior, and we don't recognize the reality that God wants us to continue to move forward. Otherwise, we fall into a place where we resist the Holy Spirit. The Lord wants to be everything in our life. It's so vital that He becomes everything that we are. We come to a point, and we stop growing, and we stop hearing, and we stop seeing, because we have not been obedient We're not obedient to the simple things of God's Word. Just the simple things. I'm not talking about the complicated ones. Just simple. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. David was a man after God's own heart because he had an undivided heart. Jesus, when he told the parable of the sowers, you remember the parable of the sowers? There was all kinds of different soil, remember? All kinds of different soil. Some soil had a bunch of weeds and stuff in it. You remember? It was it choked out the fruitfulness of the seed. It choked out the fruitfulness of the seed. All this other stuff. 
all these other parts of life because that heart is divided. Jesus said, a house divided against itself, what? Will not stand. The challenge for us in this in this beginning of what Stephen has to express in this concept of men and women who resist the Holy Spirit is, is this who we are today? Is this who we are? Are we, are we men and women who are not moving forward with what God has? We just came to a point, we said a prayer, we felt the power of God and an emotion of the moment, and that's beautiful, and that's great. And I'm not trying to say that wasn't your experience and you're not saved. I'm asking you, now what? What happens now? Is that it? Is that it? Or is there more? Is there a call to obedience? Is God calling you to get more involved? Is the Lord saying, I want more of your time? You say, Lord, I got my, my time. I, if you want more of my time, you're just going to have to make me full time. So I got to work. I got a job. And I got to be there for my kids. And I got to be there for my husband or my wife. And I got to do all these other things. Let me tell you what all that is. Excuses. If God is calling you to more of your time, the only answer if He is your Lord and Savior is, Yes, Lord. We sing a song like that, don't we? Peter one time said, No, Lord. Didn't it sound weird when he said that? The idea is, yes, Lord. Yes. I will step out and I'll be obedient. Yes, I will take up the cause. Yes, listen. The Bible calls us to, to be His hands and feet to a world that is going into destruction without Him. That there are, there are children dying of starvation right now. Now, I think God wants more than just us to send money. I think God wants more than just us to, to send our prayers. I think God wants us to take our hands and feet and put them there and touch a child and say, Jesus loves you. I think God wants us to go and do and move and be all these things and do all these things. But listen, if we think that we're ready right now for a missionary life of the church of Philadelphia, the church of the open door, to go out into a world that's lost and touch them out there when we can't even touch our own body in here, we're not ready. We're not ready. Will you step out in obedience and say, Lord, I'm, I'm willing to give more. I can give more. I'm not talking about money. I don't care if you ever give a dime. I'm talking about your life. Will you give more of it? Your time. Will you give more of it? There are, there are children this morning packed into a room back there that could sure use a couple more people just loving them and helping them understand who Jesus is. Well, we have faithful people that are there. Praise God for them. Will you do more? But if I do more, it's going to cost me something. Yeah, I know. I know David, when he come to the end of this plague, brought on by his own sin and and he prayed that God would stop this angel from pouring out a plague on his people. And as he stood there and he prayed and God met him there and he, he stopped the angel, the, the ground that he was standing on, he said, man, I want to offer a sacrifice to God. I want to, I want to, I want to build God a house. I want, to, I want to make this the place. This the place right here where we prayed and where God's angel stopped and held his hand. So, so, so I want to make this the place. And the owner of the place was there because he was all following David thinking, oh my gosh, I hope God stops and, and the plague ceases. And so there's David and he's saying, man, I wish I had this. And the guy says, well, it's yours. I'll give it to you. You can have the land. And, and, and here, there's, there's some, some oxen over there. You can have them too. Kill them and we'll make them a sacrifice. And the, and the stuff around the oxen, the, the yokes and stuff, we'll use that to build the altar and you can have it all. Don't you remember what the man after God's own heart said? The man with an undivided heart. Do you remember what he said? He said, I won't give God something that doesn't cost me anything. That's not a sacrifice. Paul would challenge us. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your body a, a living sacrifice. It's going to cost us something. Maybe it's going to cost us a place of prominence in, in our job. I don't know. Maybe it's going to cost us a little bit of time with our family. Of course, I would always encourage you to bring your family with you. And 
allow them to be a part of the process too. That's called raising up the next generation. I would encourage you that this is not the end. This is not this is not the end all. This is like just another step. It's called to service. It's called to be involved. This call to be a part. There's there's causes out there for the, that are a part of the cause of Christ. There are orphans out there. There are widows. There are people in need of help, and 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 we want to help them. Yes. And we we are currently sending. But listen, I don't want. That's not. Is that it? Is that all there is? Does, does God just want our money? Does He want our lives? Does He want our abilities? Does He want our talents? Does He want our gifts? Does He want all of us? See, when I look at, at Abraham here, and I was going to go to verse 16, but we'd never make it, so don't worry, I won't. When I look at Abraham in the beginning of this, and we're going to see several examples of it. Listen, we're going to see several examples. And the, the point of the example is that am I resisting the Holy Spirit? Because when Stephen finishes, he says, you're always doing this. God's trying to move, and you're getting in the way. God's trying to call, and you're making excuses. God wants to bring you into a deeper relationship, and we're being satisfied in the place that we're in. For me, if, if the beauty of my marriage and my relationship with Kathy had only been the day we got married. Yes, I remember what it was. March 8th. I don't remember the year because it was kind of foggy back then. <laughs> 26 years ago, though. You let me know. We got together and we were wed. And I remember thinking, is this the climax of it all? Is this the peak? Well, praise God, no. It's not the peak. It's the beginning of the journey. Don't you see? It's the beginning. When I was 30 years old and I'd live a life of debauchery and all kind of stupid stuff that I'd been doing, and God reached down out of heaven and He grabbed the hold of my heart and I came forward and I repented of my life and I gave my life to Jesus Christ was that the peak no there's so much more it's the beginning of the journey it's just the beginning and God wants to do great things and he wants to move in power and he wants to do a lot of things and we keep trying to put a cart in front of a horse man we got to begin to understand like Abram what did he do he stepped out and was obedient to God's word. Are we being obedient to God's word? Or we make excuses why we don't have to be? I believe everything in God's word is accurate for today. I don't care what somebody else in a fancy suit stands up and says, well, you don't have to listen to this part or this part or this part because that's not what God meant. I believe you can take God's word to mean exactly what it said. And say, are you obedient to God's word? Are you living a life obedient to his word? Well, I don't really know what his word says. Well, hey, there's the first part. In Psalm 119, David would challenge us to allow the word of God to become a light into our path. Are you reading his word? Are you devoted in prayer? Just start there. Reading his word and devoted in prayer and allow God to show you. Allow God to speak. Be obedient. Put your faith in God, not in your circumstances. Not in what you got in the bank. Not in the health insurance or Obamacare or our government or all the other nonsense that goes on in the world. Why? Because we think that's all there. It's there. It's here today. It could be gone tomorrow. Do you not know that? Put your faith in God. He's here every day. All the time. No matter what's going on. Put your faith in God. Understand that it's going to be hard. He promises. God promises struggle. Struggle's not bad. It's hard. It's not bad. We can trust in God in the midst. And we've got to put our faith to work. Thank you, God. If we're not doing that, we're resisting the Holy Spirit. 
Holy Spirit wants to move here. Holy Spirit wants to move in you. Holy Spirit wants to move in me. Holy Spirit wants to move in our community. He wants to move in Twin. He wants to move in Filer. He wants to move in Buell. He wants to move in Castleford and Wendell and, and all the areas around and every place in between. God wants to move. He wants to pour out revival. But listen, the Bible tells us that judgment begins in the house of God. If a revival is going to happen, it must happen in our hearts first. And then it will catch fire. Are we resisting the Holy Spirit? If the answer is yes, what do we do about it? It's pretty easy. We repent. We say, I'm wrong. You're right. Help me walk in obedience. Does God give us the grace we need to walk in holiness, to walk righteous, righteously? Does God give us what we need to do that? Yes, He does. Yes, He does. We have to repent. And if I struggle tomorrow, what do I do? I repent again. Until we've got a couple days or a few more days under a belt. But what happens when I fall? What am I going to do? Repent again. I'm going to have the worship team come forward. And I, I was convicted the Lord had His time with me the last several days as I was, as I was looking at um, what God had for us this morning. And as we, we close, we're going to close in a, in a, in a song that is all about falling down before our Lord God. It's all about saying, man, God, I, it's not been how it should be. I, maybe I've just came to the ceremony, but I haven't moved forward and put my faith into practice and my obedience into practice. Hey, we can, we can make excuses and we can say, well, church is over and i got other things to do. And Prayerfully, that's not your heart. Prayerfully, when you hear as we sing and as we say, calling unto God if God's calling you to fall down before him then fall down before him if God's calling you to repent then repent hey I'm not going to ask the prayer counselors to come up because prayer counselors probably need to repent too and um, the reality is there's nobody here who can't pray with somebody else there's no need to to make it some kind of tradition or ritual that we go through. We, we're we going to sing. And, and I don't know what happens, happens. And, and Fritzy will close us out. But I want to I wanna encourage you. Man, if God's calling you to a deeper obedience and a stricter faith and more service in your life, then please come with me because that's where I want to go. I want to go deeper. I want to go further. I want to do more. I don't want to just read stories of heroes heroes of the faith and think, wow, I wish I could have been there then. I want to see that move of God today. Yes. And it can happen. Hear Him call. Be obedient. Let's, let's open up the, the altar up here for prayer this morning. Lord, I stand on your merciful ground, yet with every step tread with red. Welcome in to the courts of the King. I've been ushered in to your presence. Lord, I stand. On your merciful ground, yet with every step tread with red. And I fall face down as your glory shines around. 
state before the Lord how often we sing it and we don't do it we find ourselves too busy too embarrassed to give the Lord reverence Lord let your glory shine. Let your glory shine on us, Lord. Lord, that we would see you as you really are, Lord. That we would be like Abraham. That we would be like Moses. That you shine on his face, Lord. Let your glory shine around. Let your glory shine around. King of glory, here be found. King of glory, let your glory shine around. Let your glory shine around. King of glory, here be found. King of glory, King of glory, King of glory, King of glory. So let your glory shine around, let your glory shine around, King of glory here be found, King of glory. So let your glory shine around, let your glory shine around, King of glory here be found. King of glory, let your glory shine around. Let your glory shine around. King of glory, here be thou. King of glory, King of glory, King of glory.
So often, Lord, we just uh, we take shortcuts in our faith. Lord, we worry and we walk in fear. Lord, I see uh, sickness all around, Lord, and I, I think, why? But what a gracious and glorious thing to be taken home to be with you. What a great thing, Lord, uh, you are building and making for us a place to be with you. A mansion in heaven. Lord, and we just thank you, Lord. May we have that heart, Lord, that we're not at home here anymore. Lord, that, we're, that we would be found obedient doing what you call us to do until you come. That you would give us a heart, Lord, to know you're coming soon. Lord, we just thank you. May our life just glorify you. Find us in obedience, Lord Jesus. Amen.